0: in 1997 the spawn animated series debuted on hbo also in 1997 spawn debuted on the big screen that didn't go so well but fear not as we prepare to take on the hellish task of proving to you that spawn the movie is not that bad Welcome, welcome, one and all to It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And for the first time in this podcast's history, we have a request that came in from our website. Chad Lamasa emailed us and asked us, if we would do an episode on Spawn and we are here to tackle that very movie. So thank you very much for that, Chad. And by the way, our website is not that So if there's a movie that you want us to cover, guess what? We'll do it because we're that crazy. And joining me on this crazy road is my lovely wife, Carrie. Carrie, how are you doing today?
1: Oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> it's been a crazy run.
0: It has been a crazy run. <laughs> it's been a great year. It's been I, I, can't, I can't complain at all about all the awesomeness that has happened in this 2023. I say that knowing that you were regretting watching this movie.
1: Okay, I, regret is such a big word it it wasn't necessarily regret it was um maybe questioning Mm -hmm. questioning my uh my life choices at that moment (laughs) in time (laughs) questioning why we're here who is Gamora why Why is is Gamora? Gamora um no but questioning truly if 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 it was it was this a favorite movie was this one that um The the request was, there's no way they can find anything to say good about this movie. I I do believe Uh, the
0: terminology was, I'd I'd be curious to hear what you guys do with Spawn. I'm like, yeah, I'll go down that road. Because the thing is, and I have confessed this on many an episode, I am a total and utter geek. So if it's a superhero or comic book based movie, I'm probably going to watch it. And I'm probably going to have... A, an okay time, if not always a good time. An okay time, at least. I'll enjoy myself.
1: Have you seen this movie before?
0: I had seen this movie before. Okay, so, so this
1: was a rewatch for you.
0: Exactly. This is this is not fresh turf for me.
1: This was a first for me.
0: And unfortunately, the movie narcolepsy was starting to kick in on her when she while we were watching this. Now, admittedly. That was a protective. We watched this late at night <laughs> after she had worked all day so
1: i was also shutting down yeah I was, I was shutting down
0: so now that she has you know healed from the elbow bruises into the ribs that kept her awake <laughs> through the whole movie uh sorry not sorry it's time to go down this road but before we do before we go into the depth of hell for this one Ooh. it is time to take spawn and trailerize it
2: from the bowels of the underworld comes the hell spawn a trained killer returned from the dead to slay and destroy as the head of the hordes of hell he'll leave a trail of dead in his wake by his hand or otherwise his very presence brings chaos and darkness So why the hell is this film rated PG-13? I mean seriously, that would be like if Disney decided to pick up the Friday the 13th franchise. Al Simmons makes a deal with the devil to reunite with his wife only to find that she moved on, had a kid, and actually made out better than when he was alive. No wonder he's left clowning around with John Leguizamo in the alleyways of Rat City. Witness the raw power that 1997 CGI can bring to bear to the big screen. Which is about the equivalent of a PlayStation game. And in all honesty, that's being unfair to most PlayStation games. In this big screen adaptation that proves, once and for all, that all you need is a good soundtrack and people will remember the film. Spawn rated PG-13 for PlayStation graphics.
0: Now keep in mind, when I say PlayStation graphics, only the PS1 was out around this time. The PS2 didn't come out until like three years later. So, we're talking the lowest of the low for PlayStation graphics here and... (laughs) Before we even get into this, before we even get into who's in it and whatnot, I'm going to ask you, because I know you, I've met you, we we have spent some time together. (laughs) I know for a fact that when the movies get big and loud and smashy, that's usually when you tune out. So knowing what this movie is, was it hard for you to stay awake?
1: Oh, yeah, even cake couldn't keep me awake. Yeah yeah true story. True
0: story. she brought home cake. Like she <laughs> she brought home the sugar rush and I'm pretty sure the only thing that would have kept her going was maybe a six pack of Red Bull shotgun through a screwdriver hole in the side of it.
1: <laughs> I tried I I tried and it was um... I mean, she
0: did succeed. she got she saw the credits, so that's that's a bonus. Yeah. Okay, but let's get into who is in this film. The movie stars, Michael Jai White, John Leguizamo, Martin Sheen, Teresa Randall, Nicole Williamson, D.B. Sweeney, Melinda Clark, Miko Hughes, and Sidney Baudouin. However, there is an almost starring in this one. And I'm going to start with some of the side characters before we get to the big one here. In the role of Terry, as played by, by D.B. Sweeney, so this is Al Simmons' friend, Ed Norton was originally planning to play him, but he dropped out to do Rounder. So, a smart move on Ed Norton's part. But B, can you actually picture Ed Norton in that role?
1: Yeah, I think I could. I think I could. And I mean that. I mean, the actor who who played his friend was fine. Demi Sweeney, yeah. There was nothing nothing wrong with his performance, but. I like Ed Norton. I know you do. I do. And, you know, maybe it would have had a more Fight Club vibe. I don't know. Maybe.
0: See, here's the thing. Like, I could see Ed Norton bringing his level of Bruce Banner to that role because I'm going to say it right now. The Incredible Hulk is one of the more unfairly maligned MCU films. And I know that's saying a lot given the state of some of the films that have come out lately. And for the record, I have been enjoying everything that's come out in Phase 4 and so far in Phase 5. So anyone out there who's dissing on Marvel, get off my boat. I like my Marvel. It's all good. But I think he actually his Incredible Hulk film was actually a good film, even though Mark Ruffalo definitely took the role of me to his own.
1: Yeah, I. you know what? When I think of the Hulk, i got to think of Mark Ruffalo. Mm. Sorry.
0: That's okay. It's okay. As long as you're not thinking Eric Bana, we're fine. In the role of Cogliostro, as played by Nicol Williamson. Now, by the way, this was also Nicol Williamson's final ever role before he passed away. Originally set to play the character was Richard Harris, the original Dumbledore, Mm. as Cogliostro. But he pulled out of the project. And the thing is, and, and I'm going to put this out there right now. A lot of my criticisms of this film exist because of the existence of the animated HBO series, which was so good.
1: Is that fair, though?
0: It, it came out in the same year.
1: Okay, but being that I have nothing to go on. And I watched this movie as a standalone mm-hmm. for the first time last night.
0: Which might actually be the better way it, to go into it. I think it is. Mm-hmm. I really do. But Richard Harris as Cogliostro. Could you have pictured him?
1: Oh, Richard Harris can do no wrong. See,
0: the thing is, I think he would have looked the part of Cogliostro a bit more. Because Williams Williamson apparently did not want to grow a beard and did not want to even wear a fake beard for the role. But Cagliostro actually has a beard in the comic books, and mm. in the animated series. If you watch the animated series and the gruffness of it, um, Richard Harris would have nailed it.
1: Just so I'm clear on, on this, that was the character that was hanging out in the alley. And with the, with the sword of,
0: hand that would have decapitated yeah. Spawn, trying to get him to work for the other side, if you will. Yes.
1: You know what? I I mean, the actor who played him was so great. Mm-hmm. He was... I He was... He was enjoyable.
0: He was. He he absolutely was. But from a visual perspective, I could easily have seen Richard Harris.
1: But, you know, maybe you're just pigeonholing, like, Dumbledore with the beard. I mean, I'm sure he... And that's fair enough, I'm sure he didn't have to have, like this uber long beard
0: no but i mean some facial hair maybe but again we're, we're nitpicking here and then the problem too with a lot of comic book properties is that unlike a novel where it's just words on a page and you can kind of envision in your mind what you think the character should look like your spoon fed the image of what the character was supposed to look like based on the creator's, you know, initial idea. So when you see a comic book, that's how you want the character in real life to look. Mm. And in some cases with the movies, they have nailed it. Like you think about Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark, aside from having the perfect personality for, for, for Tony Stark, he nailed it. Like the look, the mannerisms, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. He is. He totally is. You know. Some of the other uh you know, castings, while not maybe spot on, Marvel's done a phenomenal job of casting. And I think DC's actually done an okay job as well. But that being said, Jason Momoa should be playing Lobo instead of Aquaman.
1: That I agree with Right 100%
0: Okay so let's get to the biggest Almost starring on this one Considered for the role of Al Simmons Or Spawn I'm going to go through this list And again This this is a long one here One by one I'm going to go through the list And you tell me Yes or no Could you picture them playing Al Simmons And remember this is 1997 Wesley Snipes
1: Uh, Well, okay, but, I mean, he was Blade.
0: He was Blade, but he was Blade after this film came out.
1: Mm, Okay. Cuba
0: Gooding Jr.
1: No. Only because I think he's too funny. He's too, like, I, I don't think I could take him quite seriously.
0: Okay. Tony Todd, who you may know better as The Office Quarterback. There was a commercial series where a guy would just start randomly tackling people in the office as motivation.
1: I'm kind of picturing... Um, You're
0: picturing Terry Crews.
1: Terry Crews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Ba- basically, picture
0: 1997 Terry Crews. That's kind of what Tony Todd was. Terry
1: Crews would have been fantastic. And
0: possibly, yeah. Uh, Alan Payne, uh, who, is, of course, was in Major Payne, the TV series. Denzel Washington.
1: Okay, yeah.
0: Now, now you're starting to feel a little bit more?
1: I can get behind that.
0: Okay. And again, this, according to IMDb, was the list of actors that were considered for the role of Al Simmons, okay? Samuel
1: L. Jackson. Is
0: literally the next name on the list.
1: <laughs> really? Yep. <laughs> I'm reading your mind.
0: 1997 Samuel L. Jackson as Spawn.
1: Ooh. You know what? That would have been really good okay
0: but it would have had to have been an r-rated film then
1: well yeah yeah and i think maybe that's what it was missing maybe that's what was holding it back was the pg-13 rating because i don't know i are, are are we doing this are we are can i let loose now
0: yeah Let's get through this list of almost starting because trust me when I say okay, when we get more. to when we get to some of these names you're going to lose your ish. All right. Okay. Ving Rhames. You'll probably remember him best from Pulp Fiction. It's Marcellus Wallace.
1: Ooh. Hmm. Okay. I could see that.
0: Okay. 1997 Will Smith. No. No.
1: No. No. Again. Um,
0: now, keep in mind too, he he, you know, backed away and chose to do Men in Black. So no. Will Smith with the money move right there. He's too too good at that point.
1: Too handsome, now, if that makes any sense now, at
0: all. Apparently, he chose not to pursue the role because he felt it would tarnish his his good image in 1997 at the time, which is really weird to say that in 2023, knowing everything that uh, that happened.
1: I think he's too handsome. He is way too handsome to give him the burnt up face.
0: Okay, we'll tell that to Ryan Reynolds, who went all full char, baby, with Deadpool.
1: Ryan Reynolds is not
0: handsome. I'm telling Blake Lively, you said that.
1: Well, she should know. Is- I mean, someone should tell her.
0: <laughs> someone should damn well tell Blake Lively that Ryan Reynolds is not that attractive. She
1: got the wrong Ryan. Oh.
0: <laughs> oh, you went there. <laughs>
1: Ooh!
0: Okay, three more here. <laughs> Tupac Shakur.
1: Eh.
0: The funny thing is, I could have actually seen Tupac Shakur in that role. LL Cool J.
1: Ooh! Okay.
0: You are liking that one, I right? Can,
1: I can get behind that,
0: especially when you think about SWAT, right? <gasps> Ice T. No, Ice T wasn't the the last name on this list. Are you ready?
1: No, but I want to see Ice T in that role.
0: Ice T would have been cool. Very cool. But the last name on this list, according to IMDb,
1: all right, bring it.
0: The D O Double G Snoop Dogg.
1: Snoop. <laughs> oh my god! Can, um, can you
0: actually picture a Snoop Dogg no. spawn?
1: No. No. Yo one
0: yo can. yo! Back from the H to the Hizzle. <laughs>
1: Check out no, my cape, y'all. No.
0: No. Just just no. Just no. No. The no. movie was directed by Mark A. Z. DePay. Um, we've talked about one of his movies before. When we did the movies from 2022 grading on a curve episode. Because he directed the animated Marmaduke. Mm. Of which, yeah. <laughs> Marmaduke. But the funny thing is, this film is his directorial debut. Now, we talked about the graphics already because you can't not talk about the graphics in this film. Prior to directing this film, he worked on the animation team for The Abyss, Terminator 2, and Jurassic Park. So he worked on those films in the animation department, and we got spawned. Hmm. Yeah. However... It was almost directed by Tim Burton, who was the original choice to direct this film. And I don't know what a Tim Burton spawn would look like.
1: I actually think I could get behind that.
0: I mean, the the set design would be great.
1: I don't hate that.
0: Listeners, you have to keep in mind, one of Carrie's favorite films of all time is the 1988 Michael Keaton Batman film. Like, to the point of she had a lot of that movie damn well memorized. <laughs> About as memorized as she had that the, the whole eat me, beat me speech from Pump Up the Volume. That's how she was with Batman. So, seeing Tim Burton on the list as the original choice to direct, probably going to play fairly well for her. But there was another person who who pulled out of directing this film to do another film. And this is the one I would have loved to have seen. Alex Proyas, who backed away to do Dark City, but he also was the director of The Crow.
1: Ooh, you know what? And yes, and I think... That would have been, that would have helped.
0: Yeah, that would, oh. that, that would have been the, the, just the perfect touch on that.
1: But I was even kind of thinking um, Frank Miller.
0: Well, keep in mind, Sin City hadn't come out or was even close to coming out at that point.
1: No, but I think that's what it needed was that kind of dark or even the Watchmen.
0: But again, Zack Snyder wasn't even directing at that point. So you have to remember, this is 1997. Oh,
1: hell, Robert Rodriguez. I, but you know what's <laughs> he, funny? he can do anything. You
0: laugh, but I think Robert Rodriguez handling Spawn, I think that could work.
1: Would be fantastic. Especially now. He can do anything.
0: Now, the funny thing is, there were two sequels planned for after this movie, uh, but then it came out. And the public perception and reception happened. And well, even
1: no. even watching it, I was like, they set this up Oh, well, they totally set up for a sequel. They totally they're calling their shot right now.
0: Exactly.
1: And it never happened.
0: Now the funny thing is there was an original R rated cut of this film, but they had to dial it back for PG thirteen because that's how they got the money from the studio.
1: I think I would have liked to have seen that.
0: I know, right? Because the thing is, if you watch that HBO series, it holds nothing back. Like, absolutely nothing. And Spawn is a dark comic to begin with. Like, it's this was going to be um, a bold, adventurous take to do as a film in 1997 to begin with. And then we got this.
1: in In the vein of... Like following suit with the crow, it would have worked. I think that would have totally worked. I think the problem at hand is is that they kind of went again. That PG 13 rating really, you it know, handcuffed it them, yeah, really hurt them. Um, if it was darker, if it was kind of more in line with. Blade. yeah you know now
0: they they did eventually re-release the r-rated cut which you know had a bunch of new viz and all that but the thing is you get one shot in the theaters really you know to to make your mark and they came out with the pg-13 and it showed in the theaters now the film did have a budget of 40 million dollars domestically it made 54.8 million and worldwide 87.8 million when it was released On the August 1st, 1997 weekend, it debuted at number two with $19.7 million, which is a fair, fair take on this, right? Put it into perspective. In first, in its second week, was Air Force One, which was $25.7 million. And already at that point, it had made over 50, you know, Over 50 million in its first week. So, Air Force One was killing at the box office. Spawn was the highest grossing debut. The next film was more than 10 million back, and that was the third week of George of the Jungle. There are a few other debuts that came out that weekend. Picture Perfect debuted at number five with 7.8 million. Air Bud debuted at number seven with 4.8 million. ...and a movie called 187 debuted with $2 in 1,121 theaters... ...less than half of what Spawn came out with. But it's not all doom and gloom for Spawn. There were some awards, at least some nominations. At the 1998 Saturn Awards, it was nominated for Best Makeup They Lost to Mimic. At the 1998 Blockbuster Entertainment Awards... Michael Jai White was nominated for Fave Male Newcomer. He lost to Howard Stern in Private Parts. John Leguizamo was nominated for Favorite Supporting Actor in a Horror Film. He lost to Jamie Kennedy in Scream 2. And Teresa Randall was nominated for fave supporting actress in a horror film. She lost to Sarah Michelle Gellar for I Know What You Did Last Summer. At the Stiege Catalonian International Film Festival, the movie was nominated for best film. It lost to Gattaca, but it did win the award at that film festival for best special effects. Huh? We'll get to that in a little bit. And at the 1998 Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, John Leguizamo was nominated for Best Supporting Actor he lost to Robert Blake in Lost Highway, but the film won an award at the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. It was Worst Film of the Year, mind you. It beat out Anaconda. There were only two films nominated in that category. So of the two films, this was the worst. But the reason we are here, not because Chad has challenged us to go down this road, but really it's the critic score. Over at Metacritic, this film has a meta score of 34. And over at Rotten Tomatoes, the audience score is 36%. So very much in line with the meta score. But the tomatometer is 17%. So when you hear 17%, Carrie, I'm going to ask you are you surprised?
1: not really no no um and again it i i wonder i'm curious what like the r-rated cut would have would have fared with the critics yeah
0: now in all honesty we did watch this on netflix so the version that's on there right now uh, that's the one we watched but let's get into the breakdown of this. So actor by actor, let's see how this goes. Michael Jai White, who of course played Al Simmons, or Spawn. How was he for you?
1: I'm going to answer that question with a question. What else has he done? Or has he done anything since? Because I'm not going to lie. Like, after hearing the almost starred, I'm like, hmm. Could have been. It could have been so... Different. I mean, really, he... Hit, okay, I think my biggest complaint is that his character wasn't really introduced properly. It really wasn't. I mean, he's running late, he comes into the car, and then almost the next beat, he's, he's dead. Yes. You know? It's like... Uh okay, let us know a bit more about him. Let us get to really feel for him. Like it, it, it was it was almost like I don't know, did, did I join the movie midway through or something, but it was right at the beginning. So give us more to enjoy the character.
3: So before
0: I get to his filmography here, I will agree with you that this film takes for granted that you know Spawn, and if you are going to see this film, you already know the character and what you are expecting. And I think, you know, in fairness, Spawn was one of the biggest comic characters at the time. Like when Image Comics exploded, and the Spawn comic books were like like all over the place, and the toys were out there, and the like. McFarland did a phenomenal job of creating uh, a great world for spawn in the pages of Image Comics. But, but.
1: For the uninitiated. For the
0: uninitiated. You're, you're sitting there going, what the hell's going on? Because there's a whole lot of exposition going on in that opening montage during the opening credits, but there's a lot thrown at you. And it's it's like, you have sensory overload from the opening credits. and I couldn't
1: get over the really cheesy fiery graphics
0: yeah but but that's the thing there's a lot thrown at you in that opening and if you're not already into the world of spawn or at least have a decent idea of what you're prepared for you're sitting there going holy crap that i didn't realize i needed to take notes and i didn't know there was a quiz at the end of the movie Yes,
1: thank you. Because that's exactly how I felt. I'm like, I didn't study for this test. Yeah, it's
0: it's like literally, you you know, like when you go parachuting and they open the door and normally they'll count you down. This is like they opened the door and kicked your ass out the door. Meanwhile, forgetting to tell you how to open the parachute. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that being said, uh, you asked about Michael Jai White's uh, filmography prior to Spawn. Uh, He was in Two Days in the Valley. He was a soldier in Universal Soldier. He was an oil worker on On Deadly Ground. So this is really the biggest role for him at the time. Afterwards, he found himself in Universal Soldier The Return, uh, movies like Ringmaster, uh, Thick as Thieves, He was Gambol in The Dark Knight, so he did come back to the comic book world. Um, He was also Jax in Mortal Kombat. By the way, he turned down the role of Jax in the original Mortal Kombat film so he could do Spawn. And I can't believe I'm saying this. I think he actually chose the better film because there, there was more potential, I think, for Mortal Kombat or, sorry, for Spawn than there was for Mortal Kombat. And it's hard to tell, you know, which one would have turned out better. Hard to say. Hard to say. He's also been in movies like Freaky Deaky, um, Never Back Down 2, Chocolate State. Like, there's there's a decent list of films that he's been in. Um, just maybe not the, the face that you're familiar with.
1: Right. Uh, I mean, again, he, he was fine. It was just kind of like to me he was an unknown because honestly even though you're going through his list of filmography I'm like I don't I don't think I've seen any of those Yeah.
0: So And it, and that's okay but the thing to me is that did he get the character of Al Simmons tonally right?
1: See, I can't answer that because I don't know enough about the character.
0: So let me expand on this a little bit here. Like Spawn is to me, reminiscent of the Silver Surfer. And if you remember that animated series that came out in the 90s that Marvel was putting out, the Silver Surfer was almost Shakespearean in how he soliloquied his way through a lot of the episodes. You know, Spawn would sit in the alleys and brood and contemplate his his return to earth and you know he came back for Wanda but Wanda is unavailable and how does he feel about that there's a lot of um, self-monologuing in you know the role of Spawn and and again I'm gonna go back to the animated series in that series he was voiced by Keith David and Keith David to me has one of the best voices for animation, uh, or even in documentaries. By the way, there's a documentary on YouTube, Comic Book Superheroes Unmasked, and it's narrated by Keith David. So if you want a good comic book documentary, go find that one. And he is, you know, you know it, Superman, Batman. He's so good. But the thing is, I think tonally, Michael Jai White actually did, do well with al simmons even though the film was a pg-13 film he still brooded and growled quite well and i think he worked as spawn john leguizamo as clown or violator depending on which form he's in how was he for you
1: okay can i just say that i'm about like now years old finding out that that was the voice of john leguizamo
3: you didn't know that?
1: I didn't know that. <laughs> I was like, okay, at first I'm like okay, th- th- this is kind of funny and then as the movie went on I'm like okay, this is f- annoying. <laughs> <laughs> like I I liked that the character was there for comic relief. Like it it was well written in 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 its absurdity, or its, um, I don't know, almost like lowest common denominator of, like, comedy. See, <laughs> it I really was. And this
0: is where I have a problem with it. See, the thing with clown is that yes, he's funny, but it's more in a darker, sarcastic, menacing kind of humor. And there's parts of that here. But then you get scenes where, and I don't know if this was during reshoots or whatnot, where, like, he's dressed up as the cheerleader and dancing around. Like, that's not Clown. Clown is the kind of guy who's cracking jokes as he's slicing your arms open. Like, this is, he's supposed to be a dark character. Visually, they nailed him. Like, John Leguizamo, for the attitude, killed it. And it should be known that he went through... I'm not going to say he went through hell doing this role, but the things he had to do in order to be able to pull this role off. So he had to crouch down for the entire time that he was on camera because Clown is a, a, a shorter character and obviously much much more heavy. So he's wearing this massive suit, which in an interview he said... Felt like a penis wearing a condom. During the scene in the alleyway where he's, you know, he grabs the piece of pizza and there's all the maggots on it. Those were actually wax worms. And he took a bite. And apparently when they said cut, he threw up.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah, that
1: was hard to watch.
0: Yeah. But the thing is, John Leguizamo was and still is, I think, the perfect menacing personality to play clown. Because here is basically, you know, hell's babysitter. And he ain't taking none of it. Like, this this is the guy that would sit there, and like, you know, a kid, a kid would sit there and say, I'm thirsty. Oh, well, it's raining. So I want you to go outside, you know, look up and open your mouth there, chuckles.
1: You know what, though? I always see him as, like, the absolute sweetest kindest like I I, th- I think of him from um, playing with fire
0: yeah but no I mean I remember watching him in William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet the one that was directed by Boz Lerman, and that personality came through in this so I, I could see that but yeah if you're, if you're used to him from playing with fire that's a very different John Leguizamo yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which is why I was shocked that it was him because I'm like I mean he played it so damn well like he he was again like that perfect like he was quirky
0: but it, it needed the menace that he had. if you remember him in the movie Violent Night of course he was like the main guy behind you know taking the hostages in the the big house um like he's the bad guy he's the baddie and he's not there to make you laugh he's there to lay it out in the most sarcastic and evil kind of humor way
1: yeah but clown i saw as a character was meant to be funny but not it wasn't wasn't funny but it was well written the quips yeah it was quippy
0: oh yeah no no i mean and that's the thing like the sarcastic humor that comes across as well from the comic books and that's okay but the 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 cheerleader dancing scene no just 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 no like if i want to see chris farley on a bender i'll 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 watch him on saturday night live go you know tell me that i'm gonna live in a van down by the river and that's kind of how it felt sometimes it felt almost like they were trying to chris farley clown
1: yeah okay i can i could totally get behind that
0: but we didn't need that we needed dark and menacing in a sarcastic evil humor kind of way martin sheen who played jason Wynn the head of a6 how was he for you
1: oh my god he was awful he was Evil and I was totally there for it. Win
0: in this movie versus win in the HBO series. Both evil, both the baddies, right? Tonally so very, very different in that with Martin Sheen, you got a very gravelly, definitely almost like a stage villain. And you watch the animated series and win as voiced by John Rafter Lee calm, menacing, in this kind of tone. And as he talks to you, he's going to tell you about all the things he's going to reveal to the world to make your life a living hell. That is why you're going to do exactly what he what he wants you to do. And you have no say in the matter. That's the tonality of when. And we didn't get that in this. I would
1: have liked to have seen an Alan Rickman in that role. I mean, if you're picturing
0: a Severus Snape tonality to him, yes. But it's almost like you need the Hans Gruber look with the Severus Snape performance.
1: See, but I wasn't even picturing Severus. I was was thinking- You were
0: thinking Hans, Bubby. Yes. 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 And that's the thing. Hans Gruber, you know, when he's being, you know, like when he's on the phone- Talking to Mr. McLean, the cowboy who's running around Nakatomi Plaza. Yes, yes, and yes. That's what we needed for Jason Wynn. And the thing is, Martin Sheen, the reason why he took this role was he'd never taken a comic book role and he, he wanted to try it.
1: I don't know. I couldn't get over the gravelly voice. Yeah. It just, it, it almost seemed comic booky. Overdone.
0: But, yeah. but comic booky in a comic book way.
1: But again, like, You almost don't take him seriously because it's because it's comic, yeah. Esque it it's 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 almost like okay, oh, you are (laughs) cute. That's that's so funny. Aw, you are doing evil
0: things. Pat you on the head. Go in. That's adorable. Go get it. Go get an evil bickie. You
1: have that you know growly voice. Mm -hmm. That's so cute. No, no. (laughs) If
0: if you had calm, cool, and collected um, Hans Gruber in this. You would. It would have been pitch perfect casting,
1: or even better, like Tim Curry, like when he was at his absolute peak. I'm thinking like from the Oscar.
0: Okay, but uh, here's a problem: where he
1: could be funny, but he could also be quite frightening.
3: An Oscar?
1: Well, no, I mean, but he, but he could pull off. I mean, he could pull off the comedy mixed with the oh, his, authority
0: his diction and elocution if you're talking about him from Oscar then yes definitely
1: no but i'm talking about in this role
0: no but what i'm saying is if you took the the you know the succinctness of his delivery from Oscar and put it into a menacing role but the problem with Tim Curry that's not a problem with Tim Curry, because freaking Tim Curry, is that you look at him and the minute he pops on screen, you're like, oh, Tim Curry, he's adorable. He's the bad guy.
1: But no, I think he could definitely pull off if he like pulled out the crazy, he could pull off authoritative and.
0: But the thing is, is isn't a crazy guy, you know, he is very much a you know, he's the puppet master. He's the one, well...
1: Oh, it was the woman that was totally wearing the pants in that.
0: Too bad she didn't last. But since you're talking about her, let's talk (laughs) about Melinda Clark, who played Jessica Priest. Now, it should be noted that the character of Jessica Priest was actually written specifically for this movie. In the comic books... There's a character named Chapel, and Chapel is the one that kills Simmons at the behest of Jason Wynn. They could not use the character of Chapel in the movie. So they created Jessica Priest. By the way, Priest, Chapel, church related. So that's why her name is there. Um,
1: Why could they not use the character? Because
0: there was a rights issue. Even though the character was in Image Comics, it was done by another creator for Image Comics. So uh. they could not put that character into this property, despite the fact that Chapel is actually in the animated series. So I ask you now, now I, I have my thoughts. And, you know, as we were watching the film, I gave you my thoughts. But how was Melinda Clark as Jessica Priest for you?
1: She was so cool. I mean, she was definitely. She was a force. Like, you just knew. You knew she was going to f*** it up. <laughs> and she was so great about it. I mean. Until she died.
0: Until she died.
1: But the thing
0: is, is that her very presence is kind of tropey. And hear me out. Hear me out. Fit redhead in all leather and the guns there to kill people at the behest of whoever's in charge. Samurai cop. Um, kind of had a KM from Jason X feel to her if she was dressed by the by the costumer of Black Scorpion. Um, Freaking Black Widow. Like, she very much was the Black Widow of this movie, except that she didn't last past half the movie. The problem is, is that it felt like other characters?
1: I thought she played it well.
0: Oh, I mean, I'm not saying she didn't play it well. I'm just saying that the character felt like a trope. But I mean, if you can't have Chaplin, Jessica Priest is a a way to go. Teresa Randall, who played Wanda, you know, the object of Al Simmons' return to Earth, uh, but she got married while he was dead. How was she for you?
1: Again, their relationship wasn't flushed out well enough. Mm -hmm. So... Really, I was kind of like, okay, so your husband passes away and you move on with his best friend, his partner? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it, it, I, I really had trouble feeling for her.
0: I'm going to say something negative and then I'm going to say something positive about about her in this. Is that, yes they did, again, take for granted that you already knew the Spawn storyline, so they didn't feel like they needed to spoon-feed you the whole Wanda Owl backstory, which then makes you care less once he's dead and when he comes back. But that being said, if I'm doing the comparison, and again, the HBO animated series, I, I feel like I... I'm doing the same explanation as I did when I was on There Can Only Be One, and I was talking about the KISS episode, and every reference I seem to have seemed to be revolve around that KISS unplugged CD. Here, it's the HBO animated series. That's my frame of reference for Spawn. But the thing is, Teresa Randall may be the one person who nailed the transition from comic to screen.
1: Can I just ask for the uninitiated like and again without knowing or any prior knowledge of the comic book or the HBO special why al like like why why was he chosen why why not his partner why was why was he the one Killed. Okay, so in well, that moment,
0: let me let me explain here. Now, and, and this is basically the Coles Notes version of Spawn. All right, so Al Simmons is a trained killer for Asex. He goes and he does these missions for Jason. When, regardless of the collateral damage that revolves around it, he's married to Wanda. Hell takes note of these killers because they're trying to build an army. To come to Earth and take over and destroy the whole damn place, right? Because that's what Hell wants to do. A whole lot of chaos, right? Cagliostro was a Hell Hellspawn who, who turned against Malgosia. So, Hell has been keeping an eye on Al Simmons for a while. And they decided now is the time for Al Simmons to die. Go to Hell. Make the deal that he could return to Earth to be with Wanda if he led... Malgosia's army. When he came back, it was like five years later, and Wanda had already moved on at that point. So Al comes back, realizes how long he's been gone, and she's remarried, had a kid—something that they had talked about doing before he died.
1: Yeah, but why him? Why not his partner in the beginning?
0: Because his partner is not a killer he's he's an analyst he he he's a pencil pusher for battle for lack of a better term hell wants a warrior to lead you know their army okay so it had to be al it was definitely not going to be terry
1: okay because i i just thought they were just partners like
0: no they're just friends and they happen to work together Mm. i know him he's a friend from work (laughs) <laughs> speaking of comic book movies. But yeah, Wanda really kind of nailed the performance of Wanda and the translation from page to screen. So kudos to Teresa Randall. And since you talked about Terry Fitzgerald as played by D.B. Sweeney, you already said that you liked him in this and could see him, you know, as equal to a choice like Ed Norton. But how was D.B. Sweeney for you?
1: You know what? I Knowing that he wound up marrying his... Best friend, his partner's wife. There's something just doesn't sit right with that storyline. I'm like, you know what? No, 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 no. Like that. Like even if it's five years later, which they have a five-year-old, so you can kind of piece together that they Do the math, up very yeah. quickly, and that just seems really. Blah. I don't know. It did not sit well with me. I didn't like him. I didn't like him from the beginning. At first, I was kind of like, okay, there's something, something not right about their friendship, their partnership. There's just something weird.
0: But again, it's one of those things where they pretty much jumped right in, didn't give you the backstory, you know.
1: Yeah, there wasn't a lot of room for character development.
0: It was a car ride of exposition. That's pretty much how it, that how it felt. That was the development of the Terry and an owl friendship.
1: I tend to wonder if it would have been different if she, uh, Wanda had moved on and married like anybody else, right? Like, Why did it have to be his partner or his, his supposed best friend?
0: Yeah, I mean, now that being said, you know, he he does tell Terry to look after Wanda when he's off on these missions kind of thing. Okay, so, but
1: that's not what he meant. That's, that's not, <laughs> of course, it's never
0: what they mean. Like, and anytime uh, anyone says, I want you to look after her while I'm on this mission, A, you know they're not coming back immediately or if at all. And B, you know he's going to be boning the wife. In the short amount of time, in this film, at least the PG thirteen version, is only ninety six minutes, so it's not that long a film. So you don't really have the space.
1: Oh, it felt like it. Okay, that's well, because you were went tired. On and on and you,
0: on. <laughs> you were tired, and you're not exactly you know you know feeling one hundred percent. So I get it, I get it. But yes, you wanted someone in there that was going to not necessarily be you know down the middle or at least black and white good or bad right someone who is ambiguous in their morals right you know they were friends he married her after after he died it like the day to, after? No, yes. I don't know But it was the day after. <laughs> it and, kind of felt like it. Here's some dirt and here's a ring. Here you go.
1: It felt like it.
0: But the thing is, that kind of life choice that Terry made makes his role in, you know, everything that's going on a bit more suspect, which I think is good. You know, you want... You know ambiguity in some of these characters. You want you don't want you don't want things painted out for you. You know, like the the ring, like the the voice of fire. You know, blue, red, blue. It's easy.
1: almost kind of like he was so questionable that I kept kind of expecting to find out that he was involved somehow in Al's demise. Well, like the, truly, the, like that's kind of how it was sitting with me.
0: But the thing is, they both work for Win. So they both know exactly who their boss is. So anyone who is still working for Wynn after Al dies is going to be a little suspect to begin with. And Wanda knows. Wanda knows that Wynn is not exactly the most upstanding of people. So everyone has a little bit of, not necessarily blood on their hands, but...
1: Which makes me wonder about Wanda. Like, why the hell would she marry his, like her deceased husband's best friend, partner, who works still currently
0: for the for guy, the
1: guy who killed her husband. Well, the
0: thing is, it's 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 not that she knows that. When had Al killed? all she knows is that i went on a mission for a6 and didn't come back that's that's her knowledge and you know we take it for granted that that's terry's knowledge as well cuz terry doesn't seem to be doing bad things but again you, you, he knows the things that are going on he knows that that's you know collateral damage happens everything is not this clean up like it should be so you know, but sp- the world is spawned is a Shades of Grey world. So you need Shades of Grey characters. Even though it's a battle between good and evil, there are people on the fence along the way. Someone, though, who's off the fence and knows exactly whose team he's on is Nigel Williamson, who played Cogliostro. This is the homeless guy in the alley that was trying to get Spawn to use his powers to fight against Malbolgia. But how was he for
1: you? I so enjoyed him. Like he was just you know what? At first he was a little creepy and I'm like, what's he doing hiding in the shadows of the the alleyway? Like is he just some homeless guy that's just there and they're focusing on? And then I'm like, No, when when you when you see him in the scene, you just know something's gonna go down. Yeah. It was he was so enjoyable to watch. He played it so well.
0: We know that he not necessarily was a hellspawn. We know there's something up though, the fact that he has a magical green sword that pops out of his uh pops out of his sleeve. So we know something's going on, but it's not like he's he's not placating to spawn, but he's also not exactly um you, know, you really should fight for the, the the light side no 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 this is a guy who actually fought for malbolgia and killed for malbolgia and eventually realized that the more he used his power the sooner he was going to die so he stopped using his power he t- he stopped killing for malbolgia and thereby put an end to like this hellish war that wanted to come to earth. So and now a new hell spawn has come and he's doing his best to make sure that, you know, earth still stands. And you, again, this is almost the, for lack of a better analogy, the Obi-Wan Kenobi character of all of this. And I think Nicole Williamson in his final ever role did a really good job here.
1: I agree. He was so enjoyable to watch.
0: Couple of kids to talk about here. The first one is Mike Hughes, who played Jack, the Alley kid. Obviously, they've put this character in there to humanize Spawn, but how was he for you?
1: You know what? I really liked him, and I I that scene with his dad, where he defended his dad, even though he was probably gonna take a beating from this man. Mm-hmm. Um, it was that was hard to watch it was really hard to watch. I'm like, oh, like I get why it was necessary and it kind of shaped their relationship. Uh, his relationship with Spawn. Um, you know, and and kind of built that level of trust too. Yeah. Right?
0: I mean, you, everyone needs that character to humanize you if you're trying to pull someone from the dark to the light. Jack kind of works that way. You know, he's, you know, he's an optimist in a pessimistic life. And that's almost what Spawn needs. And it kind of works from, from a character development standpoint. I think Jack definitely works
1: again. I think it's kind of important that he wasn't afraid of Spawn, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, with his face burnt up the way it was oh, char like, baby. He, he, um, you know he could look quite frightening and, and menacing and the fact that this little guy wasn't afraid of him was it was quite touching and and even um the daughter as well like to see that she could look past his frightening appearance mm-hmm. and
0: Sydney Boudouin uh, yeah. playing Cyan this is actually her First ever performance. This is her acting debut. And she eventually would go on to appear in 13 going on 30.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. So, and and I think that's the thing too, is that in Spawn, when he comes back and he looks at himself, it's not just that he's looking at his current predicament and not being able to be with Wanda again as easily as he wishes. It's that he also has to come to terms with the fact that the things he did in his life when he was alive led him to hell. So it's a self-reckoning, but the innocence of a child's eyes can see the good in someone even when they don't see the good in themselves. So I think between Jack and Cyan, you had redemption for Spawn or at least, you know, an anchor or a life preserver.
1: It humanized him. Absolutely, even yeah. Even after he was demonized.
0: Okay. I need to ask you this, because this bugged me the entire time. Malbolgia, the demon that never moved their mouth when they were actually talking, which is fine, which is fine, because when Violator, you know, when Clown would change to the Violator form, Violator talks through tele- um Telepathy, right? So, you know, basically mind-to-mind contact. So, Malbolgia not moving his mouth, I can kind of live with. But as he's talking, will you not get a Dr. Claw vibe from Inspector Gadget?
1: <laughs> I I thought that was so cheesy. <laughs> the entire... Oh, that part, It was it necessary?
0: Well, I mean, Malbolgia is the reason you know al got his spawn powers and was sent back to earth malbolgia is the one that creates the hell spawn so i don't know if you needed hell i think you could have done a lot of it through you know through clowns soliloquies and the way he you know clown tries to keep spawn on track i don't i don't think you needed to go to hell i completely agree But the thing is, I mentioned the Dr. Claw thing because as I'm watching this and I hear Malboja talk, and I'm like, oh my God, it just freaking sounds like a discount Dr. Claw. It's not a discount Dr. Claw. It's the voice of Frank Welker, who was Dr. Claw on Inspector Gadget.
1: Oh, well, there you have it.
0: So it is straight up. And by the way, also Frank Welker, the voice of Megatron. So you're welcome. But the thing is, it's like, If you watched Inspector Gadget as a kid, as I did, and I know you did too. I did. Right? I didn't
1: pick up on it, though.
0: And the minute you hear it, I'll get you next time, Gadget. Next time. And then all of a sudden, like, you will lead my army on the planet Earth. Like, yeah, it's (laughs) freaking Dr. Claw is in hell.
1: I think at that point, I was... I was losing it. I was starting to fall asleep. I I'll, I'll admit.
0: You're starting to fall asleep now just thinking about the film. I need to point this out though. Cuz we're here to we're here to talk about the positives. The show is called it's not that bad. So I want I want to give credit where credit is due. Spawn looked like Spawn. The suit the mask even the green glowing thing around his eyes like he looked like freaking spawn now i'll i'll let the cape pass because in 1997 you know cape animation technology isn't where it is now you know just take a look at doctor strange the cape is a character but to you and i I know you're not the biggest spawn fan and you really had no idea going into this film anything about spawn but how was the costume design for you
1: where did he get the cape
0: i mean the cape is part of the like the 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 powers that he has like the cape and the suit are all like for lack of a better term like like hell formed nanotech type
1: okay but there was no introduction it was literally like like i think i think what really bothered me Now that I reflect back, is his mask that would kind of be present and then just kind of like go, go, gadget, you know, like it would
0: almost like an Iron Man thing fold into
1: itself. Yeah, Iron Man style, but it kept doing it so often that it was almost like, okay, pick one. Are you going to be the masked spawn or are you going to show your face like it, it was it was too much in transition from one to another see I'll, I'll, I'll i'm like pick a character i'll give
0: them a little bit of leeway in this because one of the biggest criticisms of the first spider-man like the first toby Maguire spider-man film is it like there's this scene up on the rooftop where Spidey and the Green Goblin are talking to each other and Goblin's got his like you know his helmet on with the full face shield and Spidey's got his mask on and it's like oh it's like two action figures being held and talking to each other like in one of those toy commercials i think with spawn yes the mask is iconic to the look of the character but you still want to see the face
1: i think they overused it though was it necessary to keep switching Like it's, it's literally like he would have his mask to introduce himself. And then it would switch back to his, well, I think during his face, I I, think
0: during the action scenes, I think it works well in that you can put the stunt man in the mask and, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, if it looks like Michael Jai white in the, uh, the, the char baby makeup. I mean, the, character design of, of, of Clown and the character design of Spawn, I think, did very, very well. And, you know, I, th- I think they definitely earned that nomination at the Saturn Awards for that. The soundtrack, like, this is one of the more recognizable soundtracks of the 90s, you know, of course, with the the mashups between, like, Orbital and Kirk Hammett, and you had Marilyn Manson on there. there. Like, and it was a lot of these metal bands uh, and techno groups, grouping together to form a, uh, you know one of those like mashup type albums where everyone's kind of like hybriding their own genres. I mean, I know we have at least one copy of the Spawn soundtrack, but the thing is, and maybe this is just me, I think this soundtrack, and this may be a controversial statement here, is overrated.
1: Fascinating.
0: The... Judgment Night soundtrack, I think, which, of course, came out first, I think did the whole genre mixing thing better. But, I mean, let's be honest. If we're looking at comic book soundtracks in the 90s, it begins and ends with The Crow. The Crow is the most iconic 1990s comic book soundtrack, period. And the music set the tone of the film. And here, I mean, yes, um, uh, can't you trip like I do? Was used during the beginning of the the the, the film, and um, that insane little montage exposition dumped during the credits. That you're like, what the hell is going on? You got this crazy techno music and uh, all the graphics and all the character faces and and. and narration and everything and i'm supposed to pay attention i think the soundtrack got in the way at that point but i think this soundtrack was a little overrated despite the fact that it hit number seven on the billboard 200 number one on the new zealand album charts and certified gold in the u.s and australia and platinum in canada but compared to the crow this soundtrack pales in comparison before we get to the end though, the internet has spoken. Our good friends over at the Movie Duel Podcast chimed in with really suffers from the bad CGI, and oh dear God, I definitely agree. Even at the time it looked bad, but it's fanatically dark and gritty. Would probably have been a big hit had they waited another 10 years to make it. Now, he's not wrong. Not wrong. And Blumhouse has said that they are putting a Spawn movie together to be released targeting 2025. Given today's technology, given today's CGI, can a Spawn movie in 2025 released by Blumhouse... And if it's by Blumhouse, you know it's going to be an R-rated film.
1: I don't know. Look what Blumhouse did with FNAF.
0: Okay, but that was a calculated decision. And I'm I'm actually going to give Blumhouse credit because think about it. Five Nights at Freddy's, who plays that game? Kids play that game. If you made that movie R-rated... The entire audience for that game can't go see the movie.
1: Then it would have been Willy's Wonderland.
0: Uh, but Willy's Wonderland was the be- was they so much better. Better, it was okay. so much better. All right, I
1: digress. Okay,
0: but Blumhouse R rated 2025 Spawn movie can it work?
1: I can get behind that because when you said that Spawn was dark and gritty, I'm questioning if you're watching the HBO series because totally. I did not. I didn't find this to be dark and gritty at all. I found it to be campy and almost like a spoof on what it should have been dark and gritty. I wanted more like a crow kind of almost black and white. Yeah. And it wasn't. It was like in full fiery technicolor.
0: Yeah. And I mean, like, even when you get to the the fight in hell between Malbolgia and and Spawn or even with Violator and Spawn. Like, it looks so bad. Like, so bad. Like, I'm watching this. I'm like, what the hell's going on? This is... You're making... The graphics in this made the Lawnmower Man look like Jurassic Park. And it took away from it. And it made it look almost laughable. And again, I've seen PlayStation games with better graphics, but I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. I'm I'm just grumbling now here, but I think yes, 2025 Blumhouse R rated spawn film. And don't just take for granted that your audience knows spawn. Give us the story. Like it's been a while. Let's let's reintroduce everyone
1: to it, right? And make us feel more for the character, exactly. Because I just I, I felt nothing, and then by the time he turned into Spawn, I, I was like, okay, well, you know, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> here you know, we are. Sorry for you, bud, but uh, your 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 wife's moved on with your best friend, and. <sighs> You know, I—I I mean, I—I I felt that he was done dirty, but I didn't feel enough for the character. Carrie has
0: zero empathy for the hell spawn. I yeah, sorry. I felt nothing. I, I feel like I need to say that now in the in the Doctor Claw voice, or sorry, Malbojo voice. <laughs> Carrie feels no remorse. No, <laughs> no. All right, we'll get you next time, gadget. Okay, we've come to the end of the show. So Carrie. Who is your MVP of 1997's spawn?
1: I got to go with the dog. Spaz? Yeah. Oh my god, you know what? We did not mention the dog and I have to give props because it was the the dog knows. The dog knows his master. And that moment that he he ran to him and and stayed with Spawn, even though, you know, his face didn't look quite the same. The dog didn't care. It was his master. He just was so happy to reconnect with him. Not only that, but what the hell is with the family that just leaves their dog, drives away with their daughter and leaves the dog? Really? Come on. Who does that?
0: It should, it should be noted that the dog... Spaz is actually named after animator Stephen Spaz Williams who worked on this film and worked with the director prior to making this film. So there is an actual Spaz in real life and is related to Harland Williams who we have talked about on this show before when we did the dog park episode. He was Callum. (laughs) so yes the dog is named after a guy who's related to the guy from dog park yeah it all works together so your 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 mvp is the dog
1: i'm callum i'm callum
0: (laughs) (laughs) i am going to give my mvp to john leguizamo and i i say that even with the intentional attempt to lighten up the mood with some of the things that they did with him. But I think for the physical acting that John Leguizamo did for the time he spent in the chair in looking like clown and the times when he really nailed, and he did, he nailed a lot of the mannerisms and a lot of the menace that were akin to not just the comic books, but the HBO series like kudos to John Leguizamo for, getting through this film because there's a lot when you're when you're in that much makeup and that much costume and eating real live wax worms i guess yeah um kudos to john leguizamo he killed it in this carrie i know you're not feeling 100 but thank you so much for toughing through this episode absolute trooper chad thank you so much for suggesting this film and listeners you guys know the drill if there is a movie out there that you think is unfairly maligned or is just so bad that there is no way in hell that we can find anything good to say about us hit us up on social media at not that bad cast or go to our website at not that bad just like chad did Drop us a line and let us know what movies you would like us to cover and we will watch it, we will dissect it, and we will find the good things to say because we are looking for those A grades in B movies. Until next time, she's Carrie. Listeners, you guys are awesome. This is It's Not That Bad, a member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Take care.